We're going to call an audible this week. Uh, I meant to mention earlier, and some of you may be concerned, uh, well, Jonathan is on vacation, resting, and John has been ill this week, and so he is resting as well. And so uh, we had planned to continue in the book of Acts, and God has providentially said, no, you will not, uh, and John is resting. So today our scripture will be in the book of Jude, the book of Jude. And you'll see that there's a wonderful connection in the book of Jude, so fear not, we will not miss a step in what we are learning Before we go to God's word, would you please pray with me? Father, you are indeed sovereign over all things. And even as we make plans, and we plan to do things in an orderly fashion, you are the one who is in control. And so we submit to you, Father. Give us hearts that submit to your word. Give us ears that hear And may your word be proclaimed today to your people for the building up of their faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The book of Jude is a short book. It's very short. I think it just barely takes up a page. It's just a little bit longer in my Bible. It's right before the book of Revelation if you're looking for it. And uh, often it gets stuck to the first page of Revelation in my Bible, and it's very hard to find. But it's there, I promise. And though it is small, it is important. Jude, uh, most likely, is uh, the half-brother of Jesus. But what's more important is that Jude proclaims himself to be a servant of Jesus. And as a servant of Jesus, he comes bearing his message And so it may be a small book, but it is still the word of our Lord. And Jude writes this congregation because they're in danger. There's false teachers that have started to lead the disciples of Jesus away. And Jude is calling to warn them and to give them instruction on how to preserve themselves and persevere in the face of this false teaching. Our reading today is going to start at verse 17. Hear the word of God. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May he impress its truths, transforming our soul. 
there are dangerous teachings that are happening in this congregation. But Jude wants to make sure that this congregation knows that he's not surprised. He is not surprised that these false teachers have started teaching in the congregation. And he tells us why. In verse 17, he says, remember the predictions of the apostles. Now, if you remember last week, Jonathan was preaching in the book of Acts, and we heard about how the elders in Ephesus were warned by Paul that after Paul left, there would be wolves that would come up among them. These wolves were there to destroy the body of Christ, picking off each lamb one by one. Well, that's why Jude's not surprised Jude heeds the call of Paul to the Ephesians, and he says, Brothers and sisters, beloved in Christ, don't be surprised that the wolves are here among you now. It may be no surprise to Jude that the wolves have arrived, but that doesn't make the wolves any less dangerous. You can see from Jude's judgment on these false teachers as he looks at the fruit of their teaching, the effects. Jude says that they cause division, that these are grumblers and malcontents, and that they follow their own ungodly passions. These are people without the spirit who follow the way of the world. So while they are expected... They're dangerous. They seek to dissolve the unity of the body of Christ, of a congregation just like us, through dividing and conquering with false teachings. So you see, there's true spiritual danger here in this congregation. And Jude calls the beloved of God to take action. There is true spiritual danger. Take action. Well, brothers and sisters, are we not surrounded daily by true spiritual danger? Jude defines the spiritual danger as the teachings of the world. Those who follow ungodly passions. Well, do we not walk out of these doors every day and find ourselves surrounded by the temptation to follow ungodly passions? Some of them don't seem so bad, and some of them are egregious. But they're all designed to lead us away from the truth of our Savior Jesus Christ, to lead away the disciples of Jesus. And so we too must take action, because even in our midst, there is true spiritual danger. Jude calls his congregation to take action in two ways today, to first strengthen themselves and then to pursue those in danger. It's much like an airline flight attendant who calls their passengers in the case of an emergency to first secure their oxygen mask and then turn to their neighbor who may be having trouble. Strengthen yourselves and then pursue those in danger. First, Jude calls them to strengthen themselves. He calls them to strengthen themselves in two ways. Look at verse 20. 
Jude says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Let's first understand what he means by this most holy faith. A lot of us come to understand faith as a belief. We have faith in something. We believe in something. We believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior and that our sins are forgiven in him. This is a good definition of faith. But if we go back to what Jude was writing earlier, he says that we should contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. This faith that he speaks of is not what we believe, but it is the truth of Scripture. This is the faith that's handed down to the saints. It's the word of God. And so Jude says, build yourselves up in the word of God. You know, I'm reminded of what our missionary team did in Guatemala. They were building a house. They were building something. And they were building something up. When he says, build yourself up in this faith, there's a progression that's implied when you think about building something. Now, what is the foundation of our faith? That Jesus Christ is our Lord and we are saved through him. That is the very foundation of what we believe. But when we think about a house, what good is a house that's simply a foundation? Can you live sheltered in a house that's simply a foundation? At that point, you're just sleeping on a concrete slab. I don't say that to denigrate what our Lord Jesus Christ has done, but there's an expectation of progression. Jesus doesn't expect us to rest simply on that foundation, but build upon that foundation. To go from the simple things of Scripture to the more complex What did our team in Guatemala do? There was a foundation. They built walls. They hung drywall. They put doors in. There was electrical wiring that was run throughout the house. There was a lot of things that made this house something to stay in. Had they just gone and built a foundation and left, it wouldn't have been much help because there was an expectation that there would be a roof and walls. Scripture is the same way. This most holy faith provides us with the means to build up ourselves for shelter. The Christian life is often referred to as rebirth. An infant is born, and it starts with its mother's milk. This child starts with milk or formula, something simple that she, can, that she can digest, that can nourish her body. But we all know too well that a baby who is not digesting and nourishing itself through formula or through her mother's milk, that baby is in a dire place. And there needs to be action taken, immediate action, so that that baby can be nourished, so that she can grow. We expect a progression from milk to maybe milk with a little rice cereal 
to maybe some strained peas and sweet potatoes. And before you know it, that baby's eating your biscuits and gravy right off your plate. There's an expected progression. If there's not a progression, there is something wrong, and we should be concerned. We should take action. The first way that Jude calls us to strengthen ourselves is to build ourselves up in the truth of Scripture. Now, one way to build ourselves up could be to go to Sunday school. This morning, we talked about how Ezekiel had to consume the word of God, that it was sweet, that he had to digest this word, this prophecy, and it would go throughout his whole body, through his stomach, into his blood, diffusing him with the word of God. Well, we can stick with the food analogy because the author of Hebrews does. He comes to see this congregation who he expects to be mature in their faith, but they're only, they only have the constitution to, to drink spiritual milk. They can't endure the meat of Scripture. And the author of Hebrews says that's a problem. Okay, Ezekiel eats God's word. You know, the congregation of the Hebrews is drinking milk and eating meat. So how do we eat God's word? It's not by eating the pages of the Bible. That's the thing about words. Words are consumed in a different way. Words are consumed by reading. Words are consumed by hearing. And words are consumed by speaking in a way. God has given us his word in scripture, written down and preserved for us through thousands of years. Right here, the revelation of God. We consume it by reading it. God has blessed us with a community and a congregation of believers, with faithful pastors who preach the word of God with their mouth, week in and week out. And you hear this word of God. This is the consuming of Scripture. He's given us teachers who teach Bible studies. He's given us teachers who teach Sunday school. He's given us people to disciple us. You see the blessing of the body of Christ and the importance of the unity which Jude is fighting to preserve in this congregation to fight against the division of the false teachers. This is the building up of our most holy faith. Now, there's a word here that we can pass over quickly. He says, building yourselves, building yourselves up. Now, he could mean yourselves as in you and you and you and you, yourselves, or He could mean building yourselves as in you build up her and you build up her and you are all working to build up the body of Christ. This is what Paul says the teaching of the church does. It builds up the body of Christ in unity so that it operates in love like it should. Jude says, build yourselves up, each one working to build up the other, to strengthen them in their faith so that they can be preserved against the wolves, the false teachers, the true spiritual danger of the teachings of this world. He 
says, build yourselves up because relationships are important. The word of God is capable. It's living. It's active. It makes wise people out of simpletons. It revives dead souls. In Ezekiel, it takes bleached and dry bones and rises up a great army of God's people. This is the building up of the body of Christ and the most holy faith. But he doesn't stop there. It's not just our personal piety. It's not just our efforts in reading and coming to church and checking off boxes. There's something else that's needed. He says, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. You see, because of sin, because our nature is distorted by sin without the work of the Holy Spirit. We can do nothing. Sure, we can read the words of Scripture. We could even understand what the doctrines of our faith, the teachings of our faith mean. But without the Holy Spirit applying that word to our heart, to our restored soul, it's all an academic exercise. It's all sort of false piety. And so Jude warns, it's not just doing these actions that will build up our faith, but we must be on our knees in prayer. Even Paul, the the most Hebrew of the Hebrews, the ultimate apostle, Even Paul, who was the best educated. Even Paul, who had a personal revelation from Jesus Christ. Even Paul, when he writes the Ephesians, he says, I'm on my knees in prayer. I may have taught you, but I'm on my knees in prayer that the Holy Spirit will enable your heart to understand the the breadth and the depth of the truths of Scripture. So as we work to build ourselves up, We should not turn our back on the power of the Holy Spirit. Indeed, we cannot turn our back on the power of the Holy Spirit. The thing about power that we rely on, it kind of points to where the glory is going, doesn't it? If we try and do things on our own, with our own strength, with our own power, we begin to seek our own glory. But if we do things in the power of God, God's word is applied by God's power. The glory is not ours. The glory goes to God. And so you see, Jude is careful to make sure that things are ordered rightly, that it's not works that save us, even a work as edifying and wonderful as reading Scripture. But it's the work of the Holy Spirit as it applies the truths of this book to our hearts and our souls. We must pray, not our strength, not our glory, but the strength of God for his glory. 
Verse 21, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Wait a minute. We just said it was by God's power that we were doing this. So how are we keeping ourselves in the love of God? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, Jude is eager to impress upon the fact that there are things that we still must do. The work is finished in Jesus Christ. His righteousness is ours. He has accomplished salvation for us, but there are still things that we must do. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Think about it this way. If you are in shape, you might say, you might say keep yourselves in shape. Well, if you're in shape, you can do things like exercise. You might be able to run and do push-ups and pull-ups and sit-ups and lift weights, do aerobics and calisthenics. You might be fit physically. Well, how do you stay fit physically? You stay fit by doing the things that made you fit. You stay fit by exercising these things that you have. You're already in that state of being fit, but you must continue to do the things that keep you fit. It's similar as we build ourselves up in the faith. We may start off with an infantile faith that can no more run a mile than crawl. But eventually, as we read God's word, as his Holy Spirit applies it to our hearts, we become stronger. We're built up in that most holy faith We're in the love of God because God has chosen to put us in his love, to include us and to call us as his people. But we're still called to act as those people. Maybe a good way to get in shape is to pretend that you're in shape. If somebody who's in shape goes for a run, maybe it's good to go for a run. If we feel like we are not able to do these things, that build up our faith, well, maybe the best thing to do at first is to pretend. Read the books of the Bible. Read Scripture and give it a chance. You can no more read Scripture and not be changed than you can take medicine and not be changed in some way. You don't have to believe in the medicine to work for it to start doing things to your body. Eventually, the Word of God does something. People are either saved or repelled. It's either sweet or bitter, a beautiful perfume or the smell of death. But one way or another, the Word of God changes people. And so Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God. We must continue to do these things. Once again, he goes back because, you know, Jude is pretty sure he understands. And doesn't God know his people enough to know that if God has called them to do something, they will eventually start to believe that it's their work that has accomplished their salvation. So he says, keep yourselves in the love of God, act, but waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. 
So once again, we are to keep ourselves in God's love through personal devotion and living a Christian life, but that is not the source of our salvation. The source of our salvation is the mercy of Jesus Christ because God knows we will rest on our own works if we are not encouraged and exhorted regularly, which goes back to the reason why we need to continually build ourselves up in our most holy faith, and pray to God that his spirit continues to change our souls. So now if we're going back to our airplane analogy, we've put our oxygen mask on. The word of God, personal piety, prayer. Now it's time, Jude says, to turn to our neighbor and help them with their oxygen mask. He says, you need to now pursue those in danger. Verse 22, Jude says, and have mercy on those who doubt. We start to see a cross-section of this congregation now. First, we have the beloved, those who are faithful, they're pious, and they're living a Christian life like they're supposed to. But then we also have people who doubt. We'll see soon enough, there are two other types. So we have four in all, the beloved, the doubters, the abouters, and those who are living in sin. So first, the doubters. Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on those who doubt. If any of you have ever become excited about something in Scripture, about the truth of Scripture, and you want to go and share it with somebody, and you tell them what you read, and you're so excited about it, and and they go, "Eh, I don't think that's what that means. I don't think so. That's not exciting to me. I don't even know if it's true. Well, that person's doubting. Well, how are you supposed to respond? We're supposed to have mercy. We're supposed to have mercy on them. Jesus had mercy on doubters. As the disciples of Jesus gathered together and he appeared after his resurrection and they rejoiced and they wondered that he was here in body, raised from the dead. Thomas was somewhere else. He wasn't there. And they all started to tell him, hey, Thomas, look, this is what happened. We saw Jesus. He was here in his body, and and he's alive, and he's raised from the dead, and it's wonderful. And Thomas said, listen, until I can put my hands on Jesus into his wounds, I'm not going to believe you. I mean, can you imagine being in the midst of all these people who are so convinced that what Jesus said actually came true. And there you are. You heard the words of Jesus from his very mouth. And yet you still can't bring yourself to believe that Jesus was resurrected. Well, in his mercy, Jesus appears again. And what does he say to Thomas? He says, Thomas, why do you doubt? Place your hand in my side, feel my wounds, know that this is really me in the flesh, and I am risen from the dead. 
When Thomas doubted, Jesus showed him his hands and his feet. He showed him his side and his wounds. When we come into contact, even in our very congregation, with those who doubt, are we not also to show him the wounds of Christ, to bring him to Jesus and show him? Don't doubt. Here is our Savior, risen and now seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. His righteousness is yours. You have salvation when you believe in him. That's mercy. Saying something to the doubter, that's mercy. You see, mercy takes action. Jesus didn't just show up and say, all right, I hope Thomas gets it. He showed him. He placed his hand in his side. We too, brothers and sisters, are to go to those doubters and show them the sacrifice of Jesus in Scripture, even the sacrifice of Jesus in our daily lives as we love others in a sacrificial way, as we give up comforts, as we give up blessings to serve other people, to go to people who are in need, to live out a Christian witness that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus changes even dead sinners and to those who bear sweet fruit. Have mercy to the doubters, and it takes action. Not only are there doubters, but they're the abouters. He says, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Now, for to show mercy to somebody... And now we're to snatch other people out of the fire. There's an urgency that comes from this, isn't there? Well, fire's dangerous. Fire burns. So does sin. Even more so. Is sin dangerous? Even more so does sin burn. These abouters are people that are starting to doubt the truth of Scripture. And now they're starting to go and believe the teachings of the world. They're starting to believe that those who teach ways of salvation and satisfaction that do not have the Spirit of God, that are apart from God's Word, are misleading. They're starting to go off and follow these wolves that Paul warned about. They're starting to go off and follow ungodly passions of the world around them. How are we to deal with them? It sounds to me that it's kind of dangerous to start going after these people. Why? Well, I heard recently that sin splatters. And so as we go out and start to deal with people who are sinners, there's a danger that that sin could splatter, that that shame could come on us. Yes, there is a true danger that that might happen. But that splatter of sin is eternally washed white by the blood of Jesus. And if we are to walk in his ways and show mercy on the doubters and then to snatch those who go to the fire, we cannot be afraid of that flame. Show mercy. 
If you saw me walking into a burning building, I would hope that somebody in this room would say something. Scott, don't go in there. If I don't listen to you, you might say, Scott, don't go in there. That building is burning. If I say, I don't believe you, I'm going anyway. I would hope that your intensity would increase. Scott, really don't go in there. It's a dangerous place to be. You are in danger. Well, if I continue on to walk through that door and you don't tackle me, I might be offended. Now, I'm not saying that we need to go around tackling people, okay? It's just an illustration. But the point is, is that sometimes when we go to rescue someone, to snatch them out of the fire, we might endure some scrapes and some bruises. And they might be spiritual scrapes and bruises. They might be emotional scrapes and bruises. But is it merciful to allow someone to walk into that flame of sin? And all the more reason to be strengthened, to be built up in your most holy faith, to be praying to God for his power and his Holy Spirit because you are called to go and find those people who are wandering into the fire and you're to snatch them out of that fire. Most firemen go into burning buildings with lots of protective equipment. We'd be wise to follow that example and do the same as we build ourselves up, as we strengthen ourselves. So we have the doubters, we have the abouters, and then we have those who are living in sin. He says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. These are the people that not only have doubted Scripture, not only have walked towards the flame, but have actually made it into the flame. They are living a life of sin without repentance. Now Jude is clear. This is a dangerous state to be in. He says, show mercy once again, but do so with fear. Be careful because you are now in a dangerous place. You know, we are called to go and be amid people who are not Christians, people who believe in dangerous things, people who believe in things that are an affront, that are vile to the word of God. But we're still called to go and be salt and light among a dark and decaying world. But Jude says, do so with caution. Only do so after you have built yourself up in your most holy faith. Only after you have prayed to God because it is in a dangerous place indeed. Remember that sin splatters. But we are to take action and to have mercy. He says, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This garment is the undergarment that was worn at the time. This would be the clothing that was most close to the skin. 
And this defilement is most likely an allusion to the high priest who stands before the throne of God, soiled with human filth. And Satan says, look, you can't be here. You are not holy. You are not clean. But you are filthy. You can't be at the throne of God. What happens? The angels of God clothe the high priest in righteousness. He is cleaned and able to stand at the throne. See, this garment that's stained by the flesh is our unrighteousness. This garment that's stained by the flesh is an affront to God. But we're not to go and, and make these judgments on our own. We're not to go out and say, you're defiled by the flesh. But even the archangel Michael, Jude writes earlier in his book, when he's contending with the devil for Moses' body, he doesn't say, I rebuke you, devil. He says, the Lord rebuke you. Even the archangel holy as he may be, does not have his own standard of holiness, but has the standard of the holiness of God. This word has been revealed to us. And so as we go out to those who are to show mercy on, we're to bring them to the standard of God, bring them to God's word, we start to see a picture of discipleship of relationship, of teaching, of prayer. It's hard work, but it's worth it. It's worth it. If we go back to the picture of a child, how many of us have had to hate a garment stained in some way? How many of us have changed a diaper that is quite an affront? But how much more do you love that child after you've cared for it and after you've loved it and cleaned it? So much more are we loved by God as we are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, as we wait for the mercy of our Savior. This is the mercy that we are to show to those who are living a life of sin, who have ignored the word of God, who go and do things that are intentionally offensive to God. Go and bring them the gospel so that they might be washed in the blood of Christ, that they might be loved even more and folded in to this amazing body of Christ. So you see, Jude sees the spiritual danger that this congregation is in. He knows that the wolves have circled around, have come into the flock, and are seeking to pick off one by one the disciples of Jesus to devour them with their false teachings, with ungodly passions, And so Jude calls his congregation to take action. Take action and build yourselves up. Strengthen yourselves in the word of God. 
by the power of his Holy Spirit and pursue those in danger. Just like a flight attendant instructs the passengers to first secure their oxygen mask and then turn to their neighbors who might need help, you too, brothers and sisters, must strengthen yourselves first in the word of God, building up your most holy faith, praying for the power of the Holy Spirit and waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there because we are called then to turn out and to pursue the doubters, to pursue the abouters, and to pursue those who are living in sin, to be salt and light for a dying world. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Father, you have laid a great calling on your people, a calling to be priests in our Savior Jesus Christ, to be formed into his likeness and to go out into a world that hates him and will no doubt hate us. But Lord, we pray that your word would build us up and that alongside your angels and your heavenly hosts, we might do your will. This ministry of reconciling your people to you, our great and holy God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let us rise now and profess the truths of Scripture this most holy faith that unites us. Christians, in whom do you believe? We believe.